Hi, I'm Gigi, and this is Driven Minds, a Type 7 podcast. In this series, we talk to our cultural heroes to learn how they navigate through challenging periods of their lives. By sharing our stories, we hear ourselves and others, our thoughts, our worries, our insecurities, and only then do we realize that we are never as alone as we think we are. If you've spent any time on Instagram throughout the last few years, you very well might have come across the writing of our guest today. His posts take the form of black lettering on a white background. And they're all signed Young Pueblo, which means young people in Spanish. The man who goes by Young Pueblo was born Diego Perez. I discovered Diego's writing when my best friend DM'd me two of his posts in 2017, and I'll never forget what they were. The first, letting go is a habit that requires practice. Need to take a moment. The second, it is not love if all they want from you is to fulfill their expectations. Okay, so maybe I was going through some sort of relationship reckoning at the time, which I absolutely was, story for another episode. But his words hit me hard and I entered this heavy Insta hole. You know, the ones that you scroll through every single post, not missing a beat and all of a sudden two hours have passed. I just couldn't understand how he captured these universal truths about the human experience in so few words. So at this point, I'm a total young Pueblo devotee. So I picked up a copy of his book, Inward, a collection of writing about how to love and accept yourself, but like in a totally accessible way because I know what you're thinking. I'd recommend it to anyone with or without a spiritual side. Now, four years later, he's still touching the lives of over a million people through social media every single day. His newest book, Clarity and Connection, will be out by the time you listen to this podcast. And it honestly already has a place on my bedside table. So I have pretty constant anxiety, as most of you probably know by now. But when I talked to Diego, I found him to be such a calming presence. And I hope you are as blissed out listening as I was. So here it is, my conversation with Diego Perez, a.k.a. Young Pueblo. How did you turn to writing your poetry? Or do you call it poetry? What do you call your writing? I just, I just call it writing. Um, okay. You know, I, I, that's why, like, I use the descriptor. Like, I'm a meditator, I'm a writer, and I'm a speaker. Mm-hmm. And um, my main part of my identity is a meditator. Like, before I do anything else, like at the beginning of a year, I set aside, you know, the retreats that I'm going to do that year. Oh, wow. Um, so, like, that comes first in my scheduling. And then, you know, all the other stuff that has to do with writing and Young Pueblo and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I like um, how loose the title writer is because... To me, what's more important is that I'm trying to put out a message. And then sometimes that message takes the form of poetry. Sometimes it takes the message, like the form of essays, or sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like quotes or, you know, it just comes out in different ways. But I try not to put myself in a box. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to go back a bit in terms of how you started, because you've been really open about your time in college when you were in a cycle that I feel so many of us have Mm -hmm. been in. I definitely have of just this constant 
pleasure-seeking. Yeah. And I was curious if you could talk about that period and why it started and... Sure, yeah. I think, um, like, I had always had these inclinations towards sadness and anxiety, but they didn't really get out of control until I got to college. I was, like, in such a like unknown new world that everything did feel like a little more heightened because I was like mm-hmm. so far away from home and I wasn't around my normal community. Um, so the only like avenue of relief that I, I thought was relief mm-hmm. um, was pleasure. So like I was just constantly, mm-hmm. you know, trying to surround myself with friends and like, you know, be like drinking or smoking or partying or going mm-hmm. out or just um, always like chasing fun. Mm-hmm. And using that as a means to not really have an honest conversation with myself about what I was feeling. Like I was totally um, bent on like trying to not be honest about myself, you know, just be not, not be honest with myself about how I felt rough inside. I mean, you mentioned that you were far away from home. Do you think a lot of this anxiety arose from that? Or where, where did you go to school and where were you originally from? I was originally, so I was originally born in Ecuador, um, in South America. And I came to the U S when I was four, but I grew up in Boston, which was a, you know, it's a great city and a place that I really love. Um, and I felt very at home there because like the, the community in Boston was incredibly diverse and, (laughs) you know, people were from like, you know, I met people from like all types of economic backgrounds. Um, but I went to college in Wesleyan University, which was like very different. Like I was pretty used to being in an environment where everybody was different ranges of poor. Um, so we were all like economically like, you know, in this rat race. Um, but at right. Wesleyan, I was in this like super elite environment where everyone was different ranges of millionaire. And I yeah. was one of the few people who like, you know, came from a background that didn't have money. So I think that like definitely felt um, like mentally intense, like just being around, like just even realizing that people even had these types of lives. And they were like, a lot of them are all like wonderful people, but um, right. the, the idea of that type of access and putting that in conjunction with how much access I didn't have growing up and how much we struggled because we didn't have money um, felt tough. But the sadness and anxiety, it didn't begin there. It just got exacerbated there and made worse. Um, I think it just like was something that I was born with. You know, it was like some type of situation that um, like I just had these inclinations and then because I never dealt with them and or didn't have like the emotional space to deal with them or the emotional know-how, they just kept getting worse. So interesting. So it sounds like you believe in nature over nurture if you think you were born with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think it's pretty true. Like, I mean, Western, I think psychology, you know, a lot of people are born with like very different types of chemical balances and chemical imbalances. Right. Like some people just like have like their level of happiness is their level and other people can reach like a much higher level of like excitement or sadness or other people are inclined towards, you know, sadness. But I, I believe in both like nature and nurture, you know, there's right. this quote by Judo Krishnamurti where he says the inner creates the outer and the outer molds the inner. And um, mm. I really like that one. I live by that one. <laughs> and that's a great one. 
Also, I had no idea you went to Wesleyan. I actually spent a night there when I was choosing which college to go to. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to check it out. And uh, yeah, I got a slice of, let's just say, what you kids were up to. And Mm -hmm. that was heavy. I grew up in New York City, but it was way too much for me. What year What year did you go? I went to in 2000... To visit, I, I went in 2007. Oh, yeah. That was that was the time. So I was really? there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's I was there. Crazy. And um, I, I started going there in 2006 and I graduated in 2010. Um, and hey, at yeah. that time, yeah, I was a sophomore and it was like... It was it was intense, you know, like we were, we were just really trying to party as hard as possible. And it was full of like, you know, really smart people. So people were like doing Brilliant. their work, Brilliant. you know, were so, so accomplished. But then on the other side, it was like they at nighttime, they would try to go hard. And um, I got totally caught up in that. So what would a night look like? Because I have a feeling that so many people, myself included, can relate. Mm-hmm. I guess your journey really started there too. Yeah. That's funny thinking back about those specifics. I think a night would, the problem was that the nights wouldn't really end. Like Mm -hmm. we would, you know, you had your typical like Friday, Saturday, and also Thursday was like a big day, but so was Wednesday. And then Tuesday. And Tuesday, (laughs) yeah. And so were Tuesdays, like things like new situations would get created so that you would have more opportunities to just like, you know, have more fun or what you thought was fun. Um, Right. But yeah, the night, I mean, the nights would just begin and you'd be like, you know, in your apartment or your um, dorm room drinking with your friends and then you'd go out and you just like bounce from party to party. And then I remember coming home most nights like after 4 a.m. or even to like 8 a.m. because people would just be out like all night. And and I, you know, I didn't like the process of getting back home. Like when I would get okay. back home that night or any night, I would feel terrible. Um, so like I would try to keep the night going as much as I could. Mm, oh my God, that hit such a chord. What did you study at Wesleyan? Economics. <laughs> I like mic drop. Yeah, it was, it was, um, so my background before I got to Wesleyan was I was a pretty serious activist and organizer. And, right. um, I knew that. Like, I had understood enough that, you know, people have so much power when they come together around a common cause and that they can make real material change. And I also knew that, like, um, capitalism in particular was the medium through which, like, everything was being decided, our society, our Mm -hmm. lives, our, like, our businesses, our institutions, everything. So when I started taking economics in high school, I was like, oh, this is a language that I don't understand and if I want to better understand the world, I need to understand this, especially if I want to like help make change in the world. Right. Um, so I thought like this would serve that purpose. And also I could at some point, like I really thought I was going to go into banking for a while because, you know, I just come from a really poor background. So I was like, I have to do something for my family. Um, but I tried that and it was so bad that I like immediately <laughs> left and was like, I can't, I literally can't do that. <laughs> What was so soul-sucking about it for you? Um, part of it was that I, like, that was, I was nearing that bottom point for myself. And I was just like so, like I was like wearing a suit, like going to this huge Skyrise office and doing all of this like number crunching that I was, that I knew was pointless and, and I knew it wasn't really helping anyone. Um right. 
And I think the fact that like I felt horrible and this felt so um, like self-serving in a really like ugly way. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, I don't know, like number crunching is needed. But it just like at that point, it was like pushing me. Um, like I felt like I was moving so far away from what my intuition wanted, but I couldn't really read my intuition clearly at that point. So I didn't know where to go. So what was the transition out of the the walls of steel? Yeah, so I ended up just, I had to leave the job and just um, like burn that bridge. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it took a lot of like, like I just had to do it because I knew I felt so bad there. Um, I ended up not doing much of anything for a few months because it was still like right after, like I graduated at just the worst time to get a job. I know. Um, it Yeah, you know. Yeah, it was so bad. Um, but I was kind of just spending time with friends and still trying to party, even though there wasn't a party environment anymore because I graduated from college and was like still trying to like find the party. Right. Um, and it just culminated in one night where I like used all these different drugs and um, I felt like I was dying. Like I was just like on the floor I felt like I was having a heart attack, just really trying to like will myself to live. And um, that's when I noticed that everything that I had done um, up to that point was like trying to just run away from myself as far as possible Mm. by lying to myself. Um, So it was lying to myself that got me to that point. I'm curious what it was that was weighing you down so much personally. You know, was it like intrusive thoughts? And um, like, what was it, do you think, that fueled your escapism cycle? Um, I think it was like, it was definitely intrusive thoughts. Like, I would feel really um, just like this hatefulness towards myself. Like, this Mm -hmm. like deep, but it was also not just the thoughts, right? Because one thing I've learned from meditating is that on the mental level, yeah, you're feeling all these emotions and these thoughts, but on the physical level, you're actually feeling sensations on the body. And very quickly, the mind will react to the sensations on the body that your thoughts are producing. So what I found was that there was literally like a feeling of sadness in my body that I would recoil from, or like this feeling of agitation. You know, like the way sometimes you like, you can like literally feel anxiety in your body. Yes. Um, so like that, like, that's what I was more so running away from because at that point, my thoughts still just felt so far away, but I could like feel, I'm like, okay, I'm having this feeling that I don't want to have and I need Mm -hmm. to get rid of it by producing a situation where I can create new feelings. How did you move from there to starting meditation and into Vipassana? It took a little while. It took like a almost exactly a year. So I spent like after I put the hard drugs away um, through the flush and down the toilet. I oh wow okay so it was like a real like like it was like a one moment yeah it was like an aha moment where everything changed yeah yeah I was like I have to like make serious changes right now or I'm gonna die like I'm gonna my life is gonna end early so you really felt you were dying oh yeah I talked to a doctor afterwards and. She, I told her what was happening and she was like, oh, it sounds like you've had a really like a mild form of heart attack or something like that. Oh my God. Yeah. So it was, I think it was <laughs> really happening. Um, right. But yeah, that moment, it showed me how much I had like strayed away from how I really wanted to live my life. 
Mm-hmm. And also, like, I can't remember, kept thinking about my parents and how much they had done for me, like bringing mm. us all the way from Ecuador, giving us the opportunity to live a better life and how much, like, how hard they worked. And I wanted to work hard too. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, there's nothing wrong with like working in an office. But I think the problem with it was it would have been different if it was an office where I was like doing, you know, what I was like, what I was meant to do, like what, mm-hmm. what I was, how I was best going to be able to serve others. Because I have no problem with working hard, but it's like, but to what end? You know, like what, right. how am I going to like allow this, you know, effort that I have inside me to like connect with a passion that it's actually fulfilling and also helps other people. Right. Um, but it took about a year where I, you know, just felt like I needed to build positive habits. Like, because the main thing that was missing from my life was honesty. And mm. that was like the, the, the foundation that I kind of, that just started my personal transformation was I need to start telling myself the truth. Why do I need a drink right now? Why do I need to smoke right now? Why do I want to? And then I started realizing, oh, there's all these things inside me that need my attention as opposed to me running away from them. So for a whole year, I just practiced being honest with myself, not running away and just building new ha- new habits like, you know, eating better, like, have you know, exercising, like just doing these simple things that would like feed and nourish my mind and like my mental <laughs> stability. And then a year later, um, I did my first Vipassana course. But how did you start meditating? Like the first time you sat down to meditate because that can be petrifying. It was, yeah. And I started by putting myself through a system, you know, like I, I didn't, um, I, I knew that I wanted to really learn so when my friend my friend did one of the 10-day courses, Silent Vipassana courses first, and I saw how much it affected him positively, I was like, I got to try this. Um, so I knew I was like putting myself, you know, especially because my friend had done it. I was like, if he got a lot of benefit from it, I'm probably going to get a lot of benefit from it too. What changes did so you see put... in him? Oh, he was talking about love, compassion, and goodwill. <laughs> He'd never said those words before. And this is like one of my friends from Wesleyan who's like, right. he's so good at partying, you know, so like, just like loves going out. But I had never, you know, and that's really smart person, like uh-huh. someone who ma- majored in like intellectual history and is just so brilliant. Um, but I'd never heard him talk about love. Mm-hmm. And when he sent that email, I was like really, really shocked by it. And, but it clicked in that moment. I was like, whatever he got, I need some of that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then you signed up, you got there. Was it that yeah. simple? You just were like, I want a hit of that in like an innocuous yeah, way. exactly. And then you signed up and then yeah. what, what happened? Yeah, so I signed up and it was like the hardest thing I've ever done by far. Like um, still to this day, um, it was just so incredibly difficult to like put your, put your phone away, be totally disconnected from the outside world um, and just fully be with yourself for 10 days in total silence with a bunch of other strangers who are trying to do the same thing, do the same work. And um, and you're you basically put yourself in a situation where you're in this like giant 10-day guided meditation. Mm-hmm. And you're like step by step taken to like a deeper level of your mind. And you're taught a technique that it's just literally helping you observe reality as it is. So there's no like magic or mysticism in it. It's just like being able to observe the changes that are happening in your body. Mm-hmm. Um but when you're observing what's actually real, 
a lot of what's not real in your mind has the ability to like unbind and let go. So without really immediately noticing, like after the retreat, I felt so much mentally lighter, you know, because in the and I was already feeling better because all the positive habit building, all the honesty, like it was helping me, you know, ha- have a little more love and a little more like um, peace in my life. But this was just like a whole nother level of that that was just so much deeper. And that's when I started all clicking. I think about two years after that, I was like, you know, I don't feel like I need drinking and smoking anymore. So let me do that unbinding. Yeah. Okay. So much there. Um, And it was, it's so interesting to ask you about Vipassana because I hear so much about it. I mean, anyone who who does, is it a Vipassana? Like, do you do a Vipassana or is it Vipassana? (laughs) Vipassana is just the name of the technique. And um, so we call them, you know, we call them Vipassana courses because that's what you're doing there when you're practicing and and learning it. Okay. But but yeah, I mean, a lot of people have gotten a lot of benefit from it because it's it's done all over the world. There's literally like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who practice it. So your first day, what was it like? I mean, you're coming from a space of constant phone usage of every single distraction being available to you from snacks to cat videos. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're <laughs> on this like really strict schedule, right? That's what I heard yeah. is like Vipassana is like you wake up at like the crack of dawn and then like have, <laughs> you know, like herbal tea and then you just meditate for hours. Is that what it's like? <laughs> um Something like that. You do wake up early. You wake up at like um, meditating starts around like four thirty, and wow. it's not um, like obligatory. Like there are sessions that you um, that everyone who's attending the course has to go to. That are three a day. That are one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and one in the evening. And then there are hours of meditation between all of those where you are meditating upwards of like ten hours a day. But the first time I went, I was only able to meditate like five, six hours a day at most. And still a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was just, it was hard because it was all, all of it was new. You know, one thing that, um, you know, when friends of mine go to a course or they do one for the first time, like I try to tell them that you're, you know, you're really good at reading. You're really good at writing. You know, you're, you, you know, you know how to like, hear your emotions and, you know, do these things that are very common for an average human being. But now you're, when you go there, you're trying to develop totally different mental qualities. You're trying to develop like Mm. being aware, being present. You're trying to bring your ability to feel, like literally to feel to a whole nother deeper level. Um, So we're so busy and caught up in thinking that that limits our ability to feel by a lot. And have a positive, and you're just like expanding that ability to feel to um, a much deeper level, which helps you like access the past so that you can, you know, let all that stuff go and be more present. So did you fall into it? Did you arrive and we're just like, okay, I'm just going to like drink the Kool-Aid and like oh, do the no, things no. or <laughs> what, what, was, what was it like? No, no, there's no Kool-Aid there. There's, it's, it's so cool because like they like... Um, Nobody's like making you go. You go. Right. And then when you go, they also like, you don't have to pay. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's not like you're paying thousands of dollars to go. Like they literally, it's all run by donation. Mm -hmm. So you can be there or not be there. Or you can, you know, if you're, if you want to go, you can go. But it's literally for just whoever wants to be there. So, but when I got there, I was totally resistant. You know, I was just Mm -hmm. like, 
really um, having so much, uh, so much of a hard time just being there because everything was so new that I couldn't fully commit to the practice. And I don't think it was, it wasn't until like day seven or day eight where I was like, okay, like, oh, wow. I'm not going to be able to escape. Like, cause I spent those first seven days just thinking about how I can leave. Um, <sighs> and I didn't have a ride back. And this was before Uber was popular. And I was right. in the middle of nowhere, like Washington state. So I literally had no way back to where I was living at the time. So, um, so I had to stay. And when I realized, I was like, okay, if I'm staying, like, let me, let me give it a really good effort. And right. Try. right. Yeah. For those first seven days, did you just like go rogue though? Like, were, were you just, you know? No, I mean, I was, I was meditating. I was following the timetable, but I wasn't like, you know, like what I said, I was doing like half of what was right. being asked of me. So right. I, would do, I would do like about five hours of meditation, if at that, when like you should be doing about 10 Right. Um, so I would spend a lot of, I was, you know, spending a lot of time like napping and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Also yeah. sounds nice. <laughs> what, what made it click for you? Like, what was the moment that you were just like, you know what, I'm here and I'm going to actually be here? Um, there was two things. There was one, like I was mentioning was I kept looking at the guy who gave me a ride. Like I got a ride from, cause I was at the time I was living <laughs> in Portland, Oregon. And, um, and then, but the retreat was like an hour north somewhere in Washington state in on Alaska, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I kept like thinking about this guy. I'm like, is, you know, is he going to leave? Like, it's his first course too. like <sighs> trying to like, see if like he was going to, you know, want to leave as well. And then I could try to hitch a ride. But yeah. then when I realized that, that I was like, this dude's not going nowhere. You know, he's here <laughs> for it. Um, and then I also saw two people who were in the course who were my age and I saw them working really hard. And it was also both of their first courses. And I don't think either of them, I spoke to both of them after and they were great guys. And, you know, neither of them were like super, they were all fresh, just like I was. And I was like, okay, like, you know, these dudes are putting in effort and it inspired mm-hmm. me to like, let me, let me give it a full try as well. Nice. And that yeah. was, and then from there it was. Um, from there, I, I actually ended up signing up to another course in September. So that was like July oh, wow. of 2012. And then I did another one in September of 2012 because I realized that I didn't really like fully understand the technique or the theory mm-hmm. behind the technique or, or how to even really do it properly. But I knew right. that I had done enough that mm-hmm. I felt a lot better. I was like, I don't know how all this weight in my mind decreased. Um, I can like feel my emotions much more. I can be nicer to like my, my mother and my father and my, my now wife. And oh, wow. I can already feel how that was like deepening my connections. Um, but I wanted to understand it more. So I was like, and whatever that medicine was, like I need more of it because like I can see the trajectory of it. Like if I keep investing in myself, I'm going to get mm-hmm. a really big return. So what was the first thing you wrote? Like when you did um, pen your first words? I wrote this tiny little poem. Um I think it was like right after the first course. I wrote like this one tiny little poem and then I didn't write anything for like months. Um, And then after I started writing like little essays and and I realized like I was, I wanted to see if writing could become a real thing. So I, Mm -hmm. but I knew like pretty intuitively that it wouldn't be worthwhile for me to just like privately write a manuscript because I was like, no one's going to take this. You know, no one's Mm going to like publish this. Um, so I was like, well, let me 
take to the internet and see what happens. Like if mm-hmm. people like it, then maybe it'll get published. And mm-hmm. let's see it like, because, you know, an audience is much more important than like institutional approval. Right. I'd love to read a couple of my faves and yeah, sure. hear where they came from. So this one's actually from your new book. It's ask yourself, is this how I actually feel? Or is this my emotional history trying to recreate the past? Yeah, that's, um, I think it's something that, especially in like 2019, was something that I was pretty often asking myself. And I think I was asking myself that even before I even like wrote those words, I was just noticing that my initial reaction to whatever was happening, like it was literally my past just coming up. And when I started noticing that that's not who I am, right? That's not like, if I just keep following through on that old reaction and just repeating it again in the present, then I'm just reinforcing this like old series of patterns. But if I allow myself time to see how, like now that I'm aware of what's happening in my mind, how will I actually respond to it as opposed to reacting to it? Then that gives me a better sign of who I am now as opposed to that old reaction. So just realizing that like, you know, because that question is almost like um, like a trick question. Like most most times it's your, it's, it is your past. You know, it, it's right. your past. It's your emotional history trying to recreate the past. So give it time and then see how you will actually respond. Patterns are so hardwired into us, but what from from your books, I've also gathered, you know, so much of healing is being aware of yeah. the patterns. Like even if you do the same action, whatever it is, you know, even if you do have to numb out to animal videos or, you know, check your freezer every 10 minutes for snacks, which I definitely do, at least be aware of the fact that I'm going to this freezer, you know, to get something and it's to get away from what I'm doing now. And then I kind of go into it with a different spirit. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I totally know what you mean. And I think that's so critical because a lot of people, once they see that they have some of some awareness and they start like beating themselves up about how they can't immediately change that pattern. But yeah. sometimes you have to like, just watch the pattern, be with mm-hmm. it, give it space. And then you'll like gain a new energy to be able to start making those small changes that like later will amount to a, a big transformation. But I totally know. Cause like, that's, I mean, that's what I did for when I, you know, after I quit drugs, like I wasn't like fixing my problems. I was watching them. I was, I just mm. spent time like being like, oh, like this is what's going on, man. Like you're just, you're sad. Like you're sad and you never wanted to admit it before. Mm-hmm. But isn't it so hard to not judge your feelings? Like whenever I get sad or if I miss my ex-boyfriend or, you know, I just find myself getting so upset with myself. Like I'm like, oh, like I thought we're over this, you know, like I thought <laughs> it's been three years. I thought we're past him, you know, and then I, I just get so mad at myself sometimes for for needing to heal so frequently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it happens. We don't We don't quite realize how every reaction that you make, it leaves an imprint on the mind. And mm-hmm. we're actually making those reactions all throughout the day. Like every time yeah. we're giving evaluation or we're like deciding if something is good or bad, there's a sensation on the body and we're immediately reacting to that sensation and that gets placed into your subconscious. Um, but similarly, there's a type, there's something that I've been noticing a lot of is that you only have a set amount of memories. 
in your life, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of things that you don't remember because there's so much that's happened in one lifetime. Mm-hmm. But you'll have situations where because your mind knows, okay, that in this memory, this is how we felt. We felt anxiety here. But sometimes mm-hmm. that anxiety isn't even connected to that specific <laughs> memory. It's just like, that's what your mind remembers. Oh, right, anxiety. So this, these thoughts are flying through your head again. But actually, it might be new anxiety or old anxiety from like another moment. Like you don't even know what exactly it's coming up. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons why I love the Vipassana technique so much because you can, you can do a lot of really good work intellectualizing. But when you bring it down to the level of the body and you start accessing the way you feel, that gives a very clear um, avenue with which all those bundled up feelings can actually leave, as opposed to just like spending time like reliving memories and swimming through that. I'd love to read another one. Um, Oh, I love this one. How to lead yourself. One, develop a relationship with your intuition. Two, have the courage to follow its guidance. And that one was so hard-hitting for me. How do you tell the difference between intuition and anxiety? That's a good question. I think, um, to me, anxiety is, like, full of tension, right? It's, like, full of mental tension, and I can feel it much more clearly in the mind. Whereas like intuition to me, it's like a calm signal that will keep playing until you listen to it and like start acting on it. <sighs> and I feel it much more like, and not all the time, but I feel it much more like near my belly button. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, right. Like this feels right. Like I should go in this direction mm-hmm. or I should, you know, I should talk to this person or I should reach out to my old friend. And it'll kind of keep playing in the background, but not in a way where it's like oppressive. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. like, oh, like, listen to this, you know? Like it doesn't come from a place of fear. No, it's not. It doesn't come from a place of fear. Exactly. It's almost like Google Maps. Like, you know, it's telling you like, you want to go that way, but it's not going to freak out. It's going to redirect you and like tell you again, like this is the way to get to your, but it's not going to like judge you or get mad at you. Yeah. Yeah. I've had issues with that though. There's been so many times where I've I've been scared to take a plane, even though I'm really not scared of planes because I was really, my intuition told me that it would go down, mm. but like it obviously never went down. And that's when I stopped trusting my intuition when things that I would have dread for, and I have severe anxiety anyway, mm-hmm. but the mm-hmm. things that I would dread would go fine. Yeah. And I think you hit it on the dot though too, because it's not always like the the body feeling, but I think the fact that it's um, usually it's absence, it's the absence of fear. You mm-hmm. know, it's like you feel it, and, and nothing nothing about it feels like too overwhelming, or or doesn't feel like because that in those moments, you know, I've I've had moments like that too, where it's like, oh, like I can't, you know, I can't go out of the house today because I feel like you know, if I go out there, I'm gonna die for sure. Like something and bad will like, happen. Yeah, and it's like no, like, that's just like anxiety hijacking your whole system. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because that's why I um, you know, don't give like too much importance to like the belly button feeling. I more so give importance to like the calmness of the signal. It's like, mm. oh, like it's telling you, you know, over and over again, like the thought keeps popping up in a calm way. Like I should call this friend or I should, you know, I should really like reach out to so-and-so and just following through on that. Or like this project, this one feels right. Um, mm-hmm. But that feeling of it being right is different from like fear. 
Do you have any concrete ways to cultivate intuition? Meditate. Okay. <laughs> oh, God, God, I knew that that would be the answer. To, like, you walked right. You walked I right asked. into that. I know. Yeah. I know. I totally fell in the trap. <laughs> no, but seriously, seriously, it's like um, I didn't have that good of a relationship with my intuition until I started dealing with my cravings and aversions. And when you're meditating, you're building awareness, like what we were saying. So it becomes much easier to be like, oh, that's my craving. That's my fear. That's my aversion. Can you talk about cravings exactly like what you mean by cravings? Because I found that concept so true and so fascinating. And it was the first time that I ever saw cravings used in that context as I did in your writing. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So craving, I use it just the, the, the way that I've learned from the Buddhist teaching, like the craving as the key component that causes suffering. And mm-hmm. I'm talking about craving in the sense of desire combining with tension. Like, Mm -hmm. I have to get this thing. And if I don't Mm -hmm. get this thing, I'm going to be miserable until I get it. And if I don't get it, I'm going to be even Mm. more miserable. Or if it goes away, I'm going to be so miserable. So it's very different from, let's say, a goal, right? Like, you can work towards a goal with a balanced Mm -hmm. mind. You can, you know, say to yourself, okay, this is something I want to achieve, and I'm going to put time and effort to it. But you know it's a goal when you don't get it, and you don't lose your balance of mind or you don't get super upset. You just go back to the drawing board and you're like, all right, let me try again. How can I do this better? Right. Um, but a craving is like, you're, all, you're already in the midst of tension. And mm. if you don't get what you want, then you're going to be even more deeper in tension because like craving is like your way of trying to just control the aspects of life. And especially with the things that you want to get and the people around you and the different situations that you're a part of. But you're, you know, you can't control everything. So it's just not going to work out. Are you just like the advice guy for all of your friends? No, (laughs) no. Actually, it's funny. My friends don't really like, they don't really want my advice. They don't. Are you serious? (laughs) What is wrong with them? Do they not know what's up? (laughs) No, they totally know what's up. But I think that's one of the reasons why I love them so much because they're so not impressed by me. And um, it's like, it's, it's, it's really cool. It's, I think it's like, um, especially with my closest friends, they all feel like family Mm -hmm. and with my wife too. She's like, she likes what I'm doing and she's so supportive and she helps me a ton, but she's way more impressed when I am like, you know, really doing my part in the household and like, Mm. you know, cause she's like helped me so much with, you know, just like overcoming all this like patriarchy and like trying to show up in all these like situations, you know, like cooking and cleaning and like taking care of everything. Like it's just as much my responsibility as it is hers. So we're like Mm -hmm. trying to share that. And she's way more happy when I'm like, when I go to a retreat and I come back and I'm so happy or when I'm like, you know, when I make her dinner, as opposed to like getting a bunch of likes on Instagram. Right. Well, you should just be grateful that you are not in my contact list because I would be calling you every <laughs> single breakdown. But seriously, Diego, I think of you as like this. I mean, I, I still don't understand how all of these 
words come to you. Like when I think, whenever you post something, I literally imagine you in a forest on a moss covered <laughs> rock with like all these forest fairies just flying into your ear, whispering you these sweet words. And then you just, oh, you know, you wake up and you, you do a post. That's literally how I think of you. I mean, how do these things come to you and how do you streamline them into these digestible, accessible bites? You know, I don't, I... I feel fortunate. I have a, like a, I feel like I have a knack for minimalism. Like that's one of the things <laughs> that I've been, I enjoy minimalism and I've also cultivated it. Um, but then other than that, I don't think much of it is too special. Like I think oh the, like my creativity, it goes in the form of writing, but it mm-hmm. happens for a lot of people. Like I have a lot of friends who meditate a lot as well. And they're incredibly creative in all the fields that they do. You know, they just, they excel. And but they put that energy into music or film or mm-hmm. being a doctor, being a teacher, you know, like or they're just you know because it's it's funny because um especially in the Vipassana community there are just people who are like so wise and when they say things I'm like wow like that just you know just hits you right in the spot where you needed to hit you um, mm-hmm. but I think it's something that's just it's like what we were saying before it's kind of human nature and it's a matter of just doing your personal work to just let that creativity that's so ready to flow within you, you know, out. Do you ever take time for writing or do you, are you just walking down the street and these come to you? I just need to figure you out. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Yeah. I, I sometimes take, um, I take time for writing and it's, it's really both. It's like, it's yeah. a few things. It's um, sometimes things will just come like straight up. They'll just mm-hmm. like, you know, and I, you know, a whole idea will come and, or like a whole, you know, clear sentences and I'll just write them down. And other times oh, wow. I'll like sit down and I'll be like, what's just coming out in this moment? Like just, just write and, um, and I'll see whatever comes out. And then there are other times where I'm having conversations with my wife because she's a really serious mm-hmm. meditator too. And she's just like mm-hmm. literally full of wisdom. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll kind of have these back and forths where we're asking each other, like, what are we learning recently Mm -hmm. or like what challenges have we been overcoming either as a couple or as individuals and like what patterns are we seeing that are common across all human beings because Mm -hmm. we you know like even you know you and I we have very different emotional histories but we've spent a lot of time in this conversation talking about how we both have dealt with anxiety right Mm -hmm. so like if I'm going to write like the, the the mechanism of anxiety is pretty similar within a lot of different individuals and so is fear, so is sadness, yeah. and other things like that. You started, like all of us do, with an empty profile, no <laughs> followers, you know, no likes, no posts. What yeah. was that beginning stage like when you were really, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I see you when you post, right? So you're also bearing parts of you that mm-hmm. you might otherwise not, right? Yeah, no, for sure. There's definitely a lot of me in the posts. Um, I I think in the beginning, it was just super slow. But mm-hmm. it was slow in a good way. Um, the first three years, there was just like no traction. You know, I was like, I, I gained followers. I think I got up to like 20,000, 30,000 in like three years, which is a lot. But mm-hmm. um, but my email was empty. Nobody wanted to do anything with me. And I I didn't really know what to do either. So Um, But there was a time where it was just like quiet. And I think that time was really important because that's when I got to like 
to get really serious about meditating. And I stopped mm. drinking and smoking and I started meditating two hours a day. And then I started doing longer meditation courses of like 20 days and 30 days. And, um, and that was also the time where I like figured out my voice as a writer and I got, you know, I started improving on my ability to like put out the main idea that I'm trying to, you know, showcase and also do it in a poetic format or be able to like take an idea that I know is important, but then figure out what's the best way to write it so that it can really connect with the audience. So it took, it was just like this big learning period of three years that, you know, people were interested, but it was after that three-year mark when everything started really growing. Yeah. Did you ever want to throw in the towel or did you always were just like, no, this feels good and I'm going to keep going? There, there were times where it was like exhausting because it's social media, you know, and social yeah, media is a big so like, energy consumption, like it just consumes energy. Um, yeah. But I knew that it was like, that I should keep trying. And I just didn't, didn't want to give up. And I wanted to get myself to that point where like I was like, let me just write a book and see what happens. And I got myself to that point. And, and it was slow coming. And I remember I pushed the deadline back like three times because I, I would tell my audience like, oh, it's going to come out this time. But then it's like, wait, this is not ready. Um, and then when it finally was Was that ready, intuition? Oh, yeah. My intuition and just like bold logic. I was like, this is not, <laughs> this is not ready. Um, but when it was time and it all came together and I released the book, you know, people were buying it. And mm. I knew, I was like, okay, we're like hitting on something. So let me just keep going. Yeah. Follow the energy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was, I mean, it was like, it just felt like, I don't know, like an honor to be able to make something that people find useful. And then when I like hear people's feedback and they're like, oh, like, this has been, you know, really valuable in my life and I've given it to my friends and my cousins and they're really enjoying it. And um, that just kind of kept it all going was like the few people that I would hear from. And um, wow. I was like, okay, like, let me, let me keep trying because I have a bit more to say. Well, I think the amount of resonance you have says something as well. Because I think we're in this collective shift in consciousness where people are searching for themselves and looking inward. And I mean, our priorities are changing, right? Like such a deviation from the values of the baby boomer generation. Mm -hmm. For us, uh, happiness isn't necessarily a white picket fence, mm -hmm. 2.5 kids and a poodle. But I also think millennials have so much more noise in our lives than ever before, right? Like especially with social media. And I'm so curious how you manage this because it really is a drug. Yeah. I mean, it's a dopamine hit when you sign on and you have the people icon come up and all the hearts and likes. And if they don't come, you do get the sinking feeling of some sort. Mm -hmm. And of course, there are positive attributes like community building and whatnot. But I'm curious how you handle the noise and addictiveness of it. I mean, I guess you meditate through it, right? <laughs> it's always the right answer. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I have like, it's totally been an up and down relationship with social media and I've totally gotten sucked in and been like brought up and down by the number of likes, mm -hmm. especially in the past. And I've had to learn how to properly manage that reaction. And, and one of the gifts that it's actually given me is not allowing my happiness to be determined 
by how well my work does. Because mm. I find like that's one of the most like insidious ways that um, like modern day capitalist society like dominates our minds, which is like, mm-hmm. if I'm not doing a great job at work, then I'm miserable. But yeah. why am I always delaying and postponing my happiness? Like, why can't I find happiness in the process? Why can't I just, you know, be able to connect with now properly so that I'm not being told by others, oh, you did a good job. Now you can be happy. Um, right. So when I started seeing those patterns in myself through my interactions with social media, I was like, I got to fix this ASAP or else this is going to be horrible. Um, but I also put up like a lot of kind of um, boundaries for self-protection. You know, like I know it's not that good for my mental health to be on it all the time. So I set my timer for a maximum of an hour and a half. And, mm, yeah. um, you know, like social media, like uh, Instagram has this little timer thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so I set it at an hour and a half. And when it's an hour and a half, I got to like let it go. You know, I got to put it down. Um, so I do give myself that hour and a half is a lot of time, but that's because I have to like post and put up stories and like make sure I respond to some messages because it's my work. But then a lot of right. my work is also in writing and emailing and doing other parts. But there's ways that I try to control it so that it doesn't consume my life. Yeah. I have one of those timers too, but I I, set, I guess I set mine too low. I set it at 30 minutes and then I just feel bad, keep pressing ignore. And I'm just like, why, <laughs> why, why am I guilt tripping myself? Like, no better, do better. <laughs> do you have a favorite post or one that's particularly speaking to you right now? Oh, that's a funny question. I um, don't know. Let me see. Actually, no, I do know. <laughs> I mean, I put it up and it wasn't that popular, but I had to put it up because I knew I was like, this is true. Like, and some people are not going to like it, but I got to put it up. I like that. Um, the other day I put up, your ego wants other people to think and act just like you. I read that one. And then I put it like a long essay underneath and um, and it did fine. Like it got a lot of likes and stuff, but um, not as much as other ones. But, um, but we're, not ju- we're not judging by that way anymore. No, so. no. But it got a ton of comments. Like people are just like really feeling it because if you've spent a good amount of time building self-awareness, then you do see that a lot of times, like especially with family members or if you have like younger siblings or something, you have this attachment of wanting them to like do what you've done or go to the same schools that you've done or make mm-hmm. similar decisions or like have the same type of energy that you've had. And you're not even witnessing the fact that this isn't love. You think you're trying to Mm -hmm. give them advice and like help them. No, you're actually trying to like mold them to be like you. And Mm -hmm. in the act of letting go and just supporting them, because as long as they're like, you know, it's one thing if you were trying to help them and they were like on a path to like going to jail or doing something terrible. That's one thing, you know, but trying to like micromanage other people's lives and or trying to like, just make them make different decisions, even though either Mm -hmm. decision would have been healthy. That's when you start seeing your attachments and your ego is just like trying over and over over again to like, you know, I want my family and other people to have the same opinions that I'm having and have the same views. And that's actually quite toxic because Mm -hmm. we're then not allowing other people to have freedom. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a particular attachment that was particularly important that you worked to I think it was um the there was one in particular I think um with like 
my little sister, I had to learn to like love her better. I remember, especially when she was like trying to, when she was like applying to colleges and stuff, I wanted to be like so involved in the process and like help her like pick schools and think about it. And I realized after that, you know, I like did such a bad job. Like she totally was able to handle it on her own, made great decisions. There was no need for her to like, you know, even think about schools the same way that I thought about it. And I was able to see my attachments in that moment and just like, Mm -hmm. you know, work on them so that I can have a better relationship with her. And now we're way better off than we were before. You know, that was like six, seven years ago. What would you say to someone who believes in doing the work, wants to cultivate self-love and wants to step into their power? All of these themes that you write about in your work that sounds so great, but can sometimes be slightly inaccessible because starting is truly the hardest step. Yeah. Um, What I try to tell people is that you, you are going to want to find something that challenges you, but is not overwhelming. So there's like a lot out there, a lot in terms of like real self-healing tools, you know, anything from like one-on-one therapy to really light forms of meditation, serious forms of meditation, or, you know, like journaling, like there's so much that you can use to be able to just like build that self-awareness, build that Mm self-honesty and start, you know, delving deeply into that introspective journey. But just understand that like what works for your friend is not necessarily what's going to work for you. So you have a very unique emotional history, a very unique conditioning. And that means that you're going to require specific tools that meet your conditioning where it's at. So just because I meditate, it doesn't mean the same type of meditation is going to work for you. It may, you know, it depends like, does it sound right to you? Does it click with your intuition? Is it something you want to try? Mm -hmm. But there's so many different things out there. And I have so many friends who have, you know, have had like amazing victories with one-on-one therapy. And it's something that I haven't tried, you know, but they, but I, but I support them because like what matters to me at the end of the day is that you actually feel better and that you're taking steps forward in your own personal growth. I like the idea of journaling too. I feel like that's something that you can just, you know, there's no, there's no walls to climb, right? You just need a, a pen and a piece of paper. <laughs> what would be a journal prompt that you would give for someone just starting out that they can do right now? That's a good question. I would um, ask like where, just because like this is what we've been talking about, but like where are your attachments? Like, and mm-hmm. who are they about? Like start that self-awareness, like is there a way, you know, that's the first question. Where are your attachments? Who are they about? And is there a way for you to lighten that load and start a bit of letting go so that you can, if it's about yourself or if it's about someone else, like allow a little more love to get into that situation as opposed to just attachment? Last question. Sure. What drives you? I think what really drives me is the results. Like I went into it pretty blindly. Like I had no idea what I was going into. And I'm talking about in regards to meditating. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what what I was going to get out of it. I thought at best I was going to get like an intellectual understanding of love. But what I got was like a deep experience of love, you know, to be able to feel love more clearly. 
and to love myself and other people better. But what keeps me going is that there is this potential for freedom, you know, and freedom in the sense of like, you become freer the more that you decrease the tension that you're causing yourself in your mind. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why I keep going to more meditation retreats and, and making that such a top priority in my life is like, I see the results. And if I just keep investing, keep making my mental well-being a top priority, then I'm going to gain so much from that. So, and it's just going to help me, you know, make better decisions, be a better brother and son and husband in all facets of life. That, my friends, was Diego Perez, a.k.a. Young Pueblo. I know you enjoyed listening to his calming voice as much as I did. You can follow him at young underscore Pueblo, Y-U-N-G, and me at Gillian Sigansky. You can always DM me with comments and questions and I will answer. I'm going to go try this meditation thing and see if I can beat my personal record of seven minutes. Until next time.